Welcome back to Creative Chit Chat. I'm Ryan McLeod and this is episode 8. This week I've got Martin Smith and Stephen Moore who are Roots Furniture. They make amazing bespoke furniture. They do shop fitting, they also do custom furniture for your home and they operate out of this amazing old chair factory up in Stobswell which I went round for a little visit after we had a chat and it's amazing ceiling to floor old chairs dust tools heavy machinery yeah it's it's really worth a visit if you want to chat to the guys but you might well have already seen some of the work out and about uh, in and around dundee they've got some really beautiful benches over in the newport which we touch on in the podcast uh, and various other places like Apex and Tonic as well they've got um, their own bespoke furniture in there and soon to be a few more pieces popping up as well the chat is really interesting and a lot of it centres around the act of running a business or or starting it up and we also chat around the concept of self-doubt which is something that I've talked about and blogged about in the past and something that Stephen has blogged about as well. So it's really worth going and checking out those blog posts which are in the show notes. And Stephen's also just written one about the pricing of work, especially geared around startups and how you do that pricing and the difficulties entwined in that. So that's really worth a, a read as well. I'd also recommend that you go and have a little look across their website and their Instagram feed just to put it into context because you'll get to see their craft and exactly what they do. So go and check that out as well. But now it's time to get into the episode. Here's number eight, Roots Furniture. You graduated two years ago? Two years ago. Two years ago. 2013, yeah. Yeah, we'd worked together on quite a few projects. Two, three projects, anyway, over the four years. In our final year, we were doing totally different projects. We were doing like a band, music related, sort of, uh, like camera. And then I was looking at furniture design because I, I found it really very early on that I didn't appreciate any of the sort of technology related projects. Like a lot of the stuff we were sort of getting led down was coding and looking at apps and yeah. all this sort of stuff, scanning things and QR codes and. I just wanted to make stuff. Like I realised quite early on, so I was like, right, final project, pretty much write your own brief. I'll start off a basis of something that sounds good, but I'll just make I'll just make things. And I've always liked furniture, so I just thought, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Well, we ended up with new designers. I don't know if you, you've been a... Or you didn't go to oh, new designers, no. So yeah, we were down in London and walking around, and it was just like, oh, the levels of outcome products everything just it seemed a lot higher and it was like we should have done something more practical so we just came back and thought let's do something more practical i think it been maybe a lot like a month or two after we graduated yeah i think once was she goes by about september yeah right? it was pretty quick and that was like oh reality you don't have access to a uni workshop you don't have tools you don't have so i think we had like a saw and a set of screwdrivers <laughs> between us and it's like right shit we need to build a workbench. We need to go and try and find a bandsaw. We need to we need to work. <laughs> and just, first, I think wasps was just like a it's like a demo year. Yeah, it was like a harsh to build a workshop. Like, but at that point, you guys were both 
still had other jobs. Yeah, we was well, proper we, full time. Full time jobs. Each just yeah, I was assistant manager at Tonic. Even Hilton at that time. I just started in Apex Hotel. Like breakfast grind every day. That was brutal first year. I think all we took from that in the end was just almost learning to bring together space. We didn't really make much in it over the year. I don't think. Nah, mucked around with a few bits and pieces, tested a few things online. Learned pretty quickly we don't fit amongst artists, like coexisting. Yeah. Too noisy, too then, loud. Yeah. yeah, every time the corner, everyone else got friendly chit chat and we never seemed to get. <laughs> no one kind of looked at us. I think we found out in the first year she said, you know, do you want to sign on again? No. So it's like a, you signed a, a 12 month lease? Really yeah, yeah. It was a 12 month lease. Moved out in the August and then. So where did you go after Wasps then? Where we are now. Right. So my one of my friends, his uncle, runs chair making business. Okay. Sandra's chair company. They've been there for like forty odd years, and doing upholstery and French polishing and restoring things and stuff like that. It's mm. at the moment it's very quiet. It's not not you. It used to be at the height of industry, but it's kitted out. It's got everything in it: sand beds, spray booths, an upholstery room, all the tools we need. It's got charm. You let you work in a factory with the history of chairs, yeah. like from the ones they made in the forties yeah. to what he would call the crap now, the cheap crap that comes in <laughs> now. Um, so for us, it's been brilliant, and just even learn hear from the stories from those guys of like working from well, he had a few sixteen, sixty years ago. So when you actually got apprenticeships, you know, and they were down in Broughty Ferry and. Faraday Street and the stories are amazing for us it's brilliant but I don't think we're going to quite go through the same venture as them I think it seems it's harder for us than he left school with no grades got an apprenticeship was director of his company by 21 and the rest is history you know what I mean I don't think we're going to get as easy a shot out as that Hmm. but the the work that you do how would you describe it to someone yeah we we're a bespoke furniture and interior fitting company. So we will do home jobs for people, things in houses, or commercial projects, uh, back bar, country, and tonic, and got a couple of restaurants we're working on at the moment. You um, seem to be erring towards a bit of shop fitting now, but maybe that's an indication of where the money currently hmm. lies. Yeah. But I think you're, you're right. Like The adaptation for change is, is a massive factor. And with the older generations, like they could have changed the way that they approach the whole creative their their industry with doing the chair making and mm-hmm. trying to put twists on it and stuff. It's changing people's minds on these things that have been doing it one way for forty years. And it's like, nope. We'll wait till people come through the door and then we'll make them furniture. And that's how it will be. So right. does that not so it doesn't frustrate you as much then to say Right, okay, we're just we're gonna have to learn how to fit out a bar or we're gonna have to try this thing. I think we've always I think initially we thought we'd start with a vision. I think our first ever business card was um quite heavily focused on like restoring, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Upcycling, but quickly found out that that work wasn't coming to us. Mm-hmm. First jobs were like benches, tables, and then we got a break with tonic in the back bar. So I think we don't necessarily have a Philosophy, I guess, we kicked us up pretty open. 
but where possible we do try and push like we'd like to use proper wood you know, hardwood mm-hmm. you know short fitting becomes difficult there because it's budget driven but so it's really about the quality of the materials that you use then that's what we yeah, try and I mean, push for us it's the worst thing you can hear when you're trying to start doing like custom furniture someone coming to you and being like I don't care what the material is but we'll just uh, just keep the price low price is always the biggest pain in the ass yep. 100% money is yeah. always the issue because people come to you because you know you can do quality because you'll have seen like you guys you've seen your work yeah. and think right I love that I want that yeah. I want that finish I want that, that product and then they find out how much that is actually going to cost them and then they go oh well actually I don't know what but I think budget is very much like a chicken and egg thing. Whereas I could go in to a client and say, okay, how much is your budget? And they'll worry that if they give me a figure, I'll just make up a quote to that yeah, figure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then at the same time, if I go away and make up a quote and come back and they go, oh, I don't have that much, come on. Mm-hmm. Like, well, then there'd be numerous other ways to make it to your budget. Yeah, and it, it can often be the stumbling block that, that ruins a project or ruins a relationship if people yeah. aren't open and honest about it. And I find that it can really be lead to really difficult conversations. Yeah, I think with money being money, it's always been one of these topics that people hate to talk about. You get away with that. No one likes to talk about it. You don't like bringing finances. it up. And I mean, number, most of the majority of projects we get, it will be someone going, right, we'll meet them. We'll talk about what they're looking for. Oh, if you've got a ballpark figure, you need to go and look into it. How, I mean, there's so many questions, and people don't really seem to realize either the number of questions, which is fine. But material choices is obviously for us it's like the most expensive. And then through material choices, it dictates other processes. So, I mean, you could use cheaper material, but it's going to take us longer to get it to the structurally sound level. Of where we just spend that little bit extra on normal material or quality material, I should say, and you don't need to do as much, but it's still going to last and it's going to last longer in the long term. I think uh, we've shied away from bringing up budgets now. We've, for a couple of times, we've found if, that if you say, as you said earlier, ask for the budget, you almost have to work to that budget, I think. So, like, if you ask somebody, what can you spend on this table? and they say 700 pound and I want it out of solid oak, you know already that either we are working for less money or we're going to have to make some kind of sacrifice in, in the material. And I think the last two projects we've costed, we've just gone with our figure and one was accepted and one we had to meet up again and renegotiate. And that works okay. And I think that's, you've just got to be brave. I think, especially mm-hmm. for yourself, you know what a good website should come in at around. Yeah. So maybe it's a case of just being like, take it or leave it. Yeah. But Unless I mean, you're broke. Yeah, it, it comes down to that perception of quality because I'm sure you'll have come against the question, like say the job is a table, they'll say, right, how much is a table? And you're like, well, how long is a piece of string? Because mm-hmm. like I come up against it all the time. How much is a logo? How much is a website? How much is this? How much is that? It's like, well, there's so many different factors that we've not even discussed that we went into. How can you possibly quantify yeah. that? Um, so it's a sort of, it's a perception of value and an, I suppose it's an understanding of the process. In the, the digital industry, it, there's much more mystique and it's quite hidden mm. in that how do you go from a brief to an actual finished thing, just some stuff happens on a computer and then it arrives. Do you disclose any of that? Like, do you keep clients involved in what 
how it went from pencil sketch to finish it. Yeah, I think I think that's important. I think the more you can involve the the client in the processes, the better the output is going to be, and the less amends you're going to have to do. So I sort of tend to do is lay out the process. So I go from initial conversation and discussions through to a bit of uh, UX and research type work. Then that'll usually end up in wireframing. And then once we've got the wireframing done, which is basically a layout of the site without any of the styling on it. So it's most of the content, where it's going to go, how it's going to function. And what I've started doing is putting them into prototyping tools so you can actually get a feel for the site you can click through. And then it goes through from that to full visuals and then you go into the build and then you go into like a review and then you actually get the finished thing. So there's a lot of, of touch points along the way where you can have influence and impact that. But So how does that work with your guys' process? Once you, what happens once you get a you get a brief? So someone comes to you and says, "I want X." Where do you go from there? Client meetings. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. far too many. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, the, yeah, the, the easiest thing for us to do is obviously meet with someone, which so far has been possible because it's either been projects that have been further afield. There's been people we know, so mm. meeting up with them's normally quite easy. It's when someone's passing through, but um, yeah, we normally just meet up and, and discuss it. We need to sort of have that initial initial meeting to figure out what materials they're wanting to use and the rest of it. Usually get a catalogue with Pinterest pictures, you know. <laughs> I've seen I've seen this. Yeah. Pinterest. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but is is that helpful or not? Can uh, be. Yeah. Depends yeah, on yeah, the picture yeah. matches up with budget. <laughs> Sometimes these things will come out with that like super highly polished things. Something like that, but not you know what I mean? That's that's a good starting point. Yeah. And they can be the hardest clients. The ones that come to you with, like you say, I want a table. And you go, right, and you wait for the expansion. And there's no expansion. That's where they got to, the table. And you think, right, this could be anything. (laughs) Whereas some people say, come with this mood board almost ready. We met someone in the house the other day and his wife was like, no, what's this? I wanted to sit here. I like shelves here. Come around here. Be like that. And that's what I want. So okay, that's a good standpoint because it's pretty much basically designed already. Yeah. So would you ever sketch at that point in the meeting? Would you ever like sketch it on paper? Yeah, I mean we we sketch everything. It's not the sizes and dimensions of whatever it's going to be honest. Really? Um, if it's if it's a basic sort of something simple, then I happily sort of sketch it out whilst we're talking. Yeah. Do you mean like this? <laughs> Um, yeah, it's important to get the space now we seem to be designing things for spaces and the first protocol is always measuring out that space and then usually gets put in a computer you know, kind of Google SketchUp kind of thing yeah. draw out the box that we're working within but yeah as far as like obviously with the client us and our client interaction throughout the project we definitely keep in touch quite constantly cause updates any setbacks obviously everything has to but it's just not a constant feedback. We've not really had any clients that have been difficult to, to get in touch with. A lot of them might like come to the space as well, which yeah. is good and bad. If the project's going well, it's great to bring someone down. <laughs> yeah, and they always like to, it's nice to see them actually come down before you commit to giving it across, because you can always catch by their opinion. And they're looking at it like they seem happy or they don't seem happy. Whereas when we did something for someone's house the other day, she kind of looked at us at the end and was like, and we looked at her and said, Are you okay? She was like, I'm not very happy and we look at each other 
Like, it's like in stone, it's finished. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the day before she was ecstatic with the other piece that we did. It was like, it's like a cat and mouth moment, now it's coming out. Nothing worse. So how do you resolve that then? Just put on your best customer face, you smile and you sort of just yeah. stay calm and again, you just say yeah, like, just okay. can you show us what you're not up? And in the end it was small things, you know, like there's a burn mark in there, can you sand that out, can you know, small things, but that was one of the first ones we've had where it's like, look at each other to think, <laughs> this is going to be bad. <laughs> it's the wrong size or it's too small or I don't know. <laughs> it's that feeling, man, it's just that. Because for you guys, that could be an expensive mistake. Well, yeah, exactly. That's, oh, that could be a disaster, really. If you get to start, Especially if you're drawing at someone's walls and everything, and then she's like, I'm not happy. And you think, okay. That's the, that's the thing that's going to end very quickly. No, like with the fitting side of things and interiors, because you're putting stuff in, if they come in and then there's a mistake, it's not like. If we're doing a table and someone's not happy with the shape or the colour or the state of the finish, that can always be sanded back. It's like it's quite forgiving. Most, most of forgiving material because you can make mistakes into features. You can hide them easily. You can be deadly. You can steal an iron and it comes back out. I mean, you can, it's, it's workable when you're putting holes in someone's floor. And <laughs> <laughs> it's not to make. So why why would? Because your, your focus seems to be solely around that and all the work that you do. To me, as a back, I say it all stems from uni. I think I was very disappointed in the university experience. And like he was saying earlier, man, it's like anytime you're in the workshop, it kind of felt like this is more what I had in mind when I signed up to this. And I guess it just, you put two and two together, wood and workshop, I don't know. Yeah. Never really got any metal work skills between us, so we haven't really gone down there yet. Yeah. Dabbling. Just, uh, dabbling. 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 But you could still do it. And there are people that do it. I mean, there are people that refuse to work with power tools. It's a big Instagram fad, yeah, yeah. like no, you know, no hand tools, and it's all like uh, traditional cabinet makers, etc. All the rest of it. But we're in the wrong industry for that. You can't do that in shop for it at the same time. When you're talking to these guys, I'll take bits of wood that we put for a planer, and they'll do it by hand, and then maybe spend three days up and down with the planer when they measured out till it's perfect but it's 10 minutes in the planer but according to that sort of ethos you've gone against how you meant to work with wood so how do you guys get new work actually the last like five jobs probably have all been through regular furniture did mm, from what you saw in Newport it seems to be this one that all of a sudden has got us work which is quite interesting because it was one of our first it was the first, first big first, one second, second, it was the first big one in terms of money and using stone as well which was pretty fun we sort of got an old pool table slate an old billiard table chopped up billiard table slate which is pretty fun and that was for the benches outside as yeah, for the tabletops yeah, yeah. But that's a, it was like a first commercial one, really, like big one. Yeah. I think being like you got bigger deposits, bigger money, bigger responsibility, a very strict deadline. Yeah. So how did that come about? 
that's from you. The guy's uncle works in the factory. He was the manager over there at the time. Right. So, yeah. So, like a friend's break. You need that, 100%. Mm -hmm. I mean, anyone starting up needs to find out if any friends can get them work. That's the first work to take. Yeah, that seems to be, for some reason, the one that's like, I saw your tables at Newport, and then that's how they've ended up on the website. That's how they've ended up. Because you guys have got stuff at the Apex as well. And Again, that was, I've got fairly with the general manager, and it's kind of like, he set out straight away, you know, I want you, you company to do the work, I want it to be done from somewhere in this hotel. Hmm. So again, you got to say, a bit of a lucky break. I did personally, but you have to do Again, we told what the budget was, calculated the budget, didn't work out very well, took the project anyway. So, I'm a very good believer. Balance between that, getting you know, your name out. Yeah. Getting your name out and then having to actually make a living off it. I could believe that these cheap projects will, one of them will get you a break. It's worth doing them, I think. Mm. They can't always work like that because obviously it's not a feasible business plan, but sometimes think, well, surely one of these projects that you work for, peasants' money, is going to get you a break. Just well, I think it's like a classic like, hope. creative struggle, isn't it? It's yeah. like, oh, will you do this for the exposure? And you can't I, guarantee exposure, unfortunately. Yeah. You can't sign that in like a contract. <laughs> yeah. yeah, only if I get so many yeah. likes or jobs yeah. off the back of this. Yeah. <laughs> or you owe me X amount. It'd be nice to write that in the that's, that's the sort of thing you've got to weigh up. It might get seen by a lot of people, but it might not bring you any work at all. Whereas we didn't really think the Newport would... Yeah, I mean, we didn't necessarily expect that to be the one that, because again, it's Newport. It's not Dundee for a start. It's not far, but it's not technically where we're based. But but then I suppose it's a new restaurant, and there's a lot of focus on it. Yeah, it. and it's got a, a good reputation now, so people want to know if they see a nice thing and they'll be like, oh, because they yeah. they'll recognise that that's new. Whereas they might go into a bar or a place and not recognise it. Mm. Something's yeah, changed massively. We proved wrong. We were a bit. You sat on them, yeah. Mm. So I keep calling it tiger, but it doesn't. But the way it goes orange, that burn, we were a bit unsure of that. Like, do you really have to burn it? That's what they wanted. And I think now looking back, that's what keeps people looking at it. I think that's why people look at it. Because it totally stands out from what they've got going on in that restaurant. Because we were very skeptical at the start. Like, it doesn't fit in. Why do you want it burn? So that's a new technique you had to learn for that job. So we did it once before, but. It's a Japanese technique called shusugi ban. So like they use it to uh, char cedar strips, and it gets used to clad houses. Right. So once you burn it, you sand it back, wash it down, and oil it, and it's like a natural way of protecting the house. Perhaps like fifty years from like fire damage, water waterproofs it, and it's insect proof, and all these stuff. So we sort of started looking at that, and then. YouTube got involved and it's like oh just play around with burning the greens into wood and stuff like that and playing around with it for probably like a year and then someone came to us on the bench can we do this and we're like go for it <laughs> and then for some the new saw that bench and then they were like we want those now we're doing another project we've done two more projects with burning wood can't explain why it goes orange though can't explain why it goes tiger print colour. <laughs> it seems to be what gets people noticing it. So. Yeah. so it's become that sort of like style trademark almost. Like. Seems to. It's yeah, the first thing you want to do. Can yeah. you burn it? It's like yeah, I always have a set of tables for a place. I'll get them burnt. 
I can blame but you don't want to get typecast you'll be the same you don't want your websites all to look the same like well, so yeah I think recognisable elements I guess in your graphic style so yeah. maybe seeing through them but I don't want to be like that one with a blue background that one with a white background you know yeah, well, they, yeah, you don't want a carbon copy yeah. and say, oh, because then people would be like, well, why am I paying for someone else's yeah, yeah. Um, design? It's, it's tricky because I think everyone's got their own style mm-hmm. inherently, but every project you do, you do something that matches the brief and is right for the users. And in my case, it, it can be vastly different from yeah, something aimed at kids to something aimed at like selling a product is going to be completely different. But yeah, that, the style aspect's interesting because I think there's definitely aspects of my work that I can see is consistent throughout. And when you look at other designers' work, you can see, although it's maybe a different target market, there's little elements that are, that are pulled through that, that work really nicely, but you can tell it's actually that, that person. Yeah. And often that's what, what draws clients in as well. So, oh, I've seen this, I want this, but mm-hmm. for X yeah. or Y. Yeah, definitely. And then often those turn around and the style changes quite a lot because you realise that it's not quite right for this use case. Mm-hmm. But it gives you that starting point and that. And yeah, which will be the same for you guys. They'll see something nice out there and be, oh, I want that. Yeah. But for me. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. So I read your blog post about uh, self-doubt. I say it all stemmed from yours. I read it. <laughs> so yeah, I've got one called... I should be writing like what that. The, yeah. <laughs> well, called, what the fuck am I doing? And what, what was yours called? I think something along the lines of you don't self-doubt. I doubt it. Or something. I don't know. I try to be funny. Like how do you manage that then? Because so, for me, it's sort of like you're on this wave of you can have a good day or a good afternoon and then like you can just take one email or phone call or something and then you dip. Right never goes away. Never goes away. No? I don't think so. Even when you're like delivering stuff, the first thing I'm thinking is, is he happy? And then he's like, I'm happy. It's like, I'm not sure he's happy. <laughs> I, think, I think it stems from a problem with all creatives and all artists suffer from it. And there's always this want to be creating something new and exciting. And that the only way you can really gauge that is off the reactions of people. And if you can't get a good reaction of people, it just triggers off all these little things and they're just like, ah. I think it's exposing yourself. You've got absolutely nothing to hide behind. There's not like me and Matt work in a huge company and like the company can take the hit if it went wrong. It's just you, me and him or you. You put your, you front yourself up. Hmm. I think that's where the doubt comes from. I think. So do you think it's a confidence thing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think it gets better, I think. Especially when someone asks you to do something again. Like the Newport one's a great example of Immediately we sort of in more familiar territory. So mm. we went into the Newport one a lot more confident. When you go into new territory, I think, I, I don't shake it off until it's done. And I'm 100% sure the person's happy. And it was also, when we were making high quality stuff, we're taking the time and putting the effort in. And we feel we're coming out with high quality goods. And the feedback we're getting is saying we're coming out with high quality goods. I still think of it as doing a hobby. I don't think of myself as like a carpenter or a joiner. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, right. I don't. It's not a job. Yeah, like I just. It's like oh, you sort of people, and then it, then that comes across when we're meeting people and you're trying to quote things or you know, should we charge that much? 
It's like, well, why shouldn't we charge that much? We know that our work's good and it's high quality. Like that's been seen. We've seen the results of that through getting more work. There's still that like, nah, I can't do that. That's ridiculous amount of money. This is just a hobby. It's like, no shit. This is this is what you want to do. This is your job. You've got to make that transition from like having that sort of not part time attitude because it's not. It's like it's what we want to do. It's, it's what we're trying to create. But like, guys are going to the big league. <laughs> the best way of putting it. Yeah. Stephen told us the first the first piece of advice this lady we met Lisa told us. Stop taking a piss at yourselves. That's what she said. And she sort of gauged to watch this for a bit. She's like, well, my first bit of advice is stop taking a piss at yourselves. You bet. Your, your work's good. I think there's a sort of line between arrogance and confidence. And maybe you don't want to step over and feel like you're being arrogant about it. But in actual fact, you're probably... You're not being confident enough about the quality of what you've got and what you do and the skills that you have. Because obviously... The, you guys have got some serious skills and you've shown that through the work that you've done already and all the stuff that's on the site, like beautiful furniture pieces, which have proven themselves because people have seen them and said, I want that. So that's like the ultimate compliment to say, I've seen something in the world that you've made and I want that for me. Um, So yeah, I suppose there is a lot of confidence to be taken from that. As you said, it's the waving line, you get that one email or the one project that goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It can go pretty far down, I think. Yeah. It's a long way back up. Wrong peaks and troughs. Yeah. Do you think that's tied? Do you think the confidence thing is tied to money? No. Like so. if you were, if you were making more money but doing the same projects, would you be more confident about it? I don't know. That's a good question, actually. I mean, if we made a million pound last year, you'd think you would sit here being pretty smug, but I don't know. Like I said, I think if you keep doing similar work, the confidence builds. So I think mm. like if we were to get more benches again, I said benches familiar territory. But for example, we're going to do a barfoot soon. It's like that's new. It doesn't sound much different, but there's new things with that. You know, these things got passed like structurally sound, not fall and kill somebody, etc., etc. And all of a sudden, the self confidence in that is none because you're in. Well, you're confident you'll make something nice, but you're in new yeah. Yeah, you're in new ground now. So I think maybe it's all divvied up a wee bit. So I've got confidence in woodworking now. I think and that's growing. Confidence in client meetings for sure. Meeting clients has got a lot easier. But every time someone brings up that new word, a new thing, you think, oh, okay, and you look on Google how to make it, and you're like, okay, that's a bit different. <laughs> uh, but then you're not the first person to have taken on a job that they don't know how to do right. and they've gone on YouTube and worked it out. Yeah, as you say, it's the only way to learn, really. You, yeah. don't, you don't learn by doing everything right. Yeah, often you get you get contracted on something that you've never done before. So they're not looking at what you've done and gone, oh, see, you've done yeah, that yeah, install. Yeah. Can you mm-hmm. do another install? They're looking yeah. at the quality of your work. So that's really what they're buying. Yeah. And yeah, it's your ability to learn that skill and then apply that to a new discipline on you in product have you ever rejected a project we've considered rejecting projects on what so on what grounds would you reject something okay that age old thing just not gelling with the client just say without naming clients yeah sometimes you just don't you don't gel with the client we get met with a brief and it's like, oh, this is exactly what we're into. This is going to be awesome. It's all going to be nice finish, high quality. And then 
get in and it's like and you start peeling the layers back and you're like ah okay this is not what we signed up for but then you kind of get to that point are you in too deep we've had projects fall through but we don't wait out rejecting anything yet never really been in a position to I think if you juggle an act and you've got three on the table you can go on that or delay maybe but I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with rejecting work. I don't see that as being a bad no. thing to do. I, mean, you can, I can't see it. A client, you just take a client. It's just not for us. Because you'd be in this position the same. You put your name to it. So you don't want to put your name to a website that you look at and think, that's terrible. Well, no, I hate I, that. I don't want to go down that direction at all. Yeah, I think that's massively yeah. important to... It's your portfolio at the end of the day, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so. everything you create is a representation of you. Mm-hmm. Like what you were saying before about that being a bit vulnerable by... You, it's just you, yeah. Uh, yeah, and putting that out there. So yeah, I'm very conscious that anything I share, even down to like sort of tweets or Instagram posts or whatever, that it's got to be an accurate reflection. And that if anyone was to see it, they'd be they wouldn't be offended by it, or like a client wouldn't look at it and go, "Oh, I don't know if I like that." Um, just yeah. increasingly difficult in this day and age. Yeah, it is. People are offended by everything. To be honest, I think there's. I think the persona that I create with Slurp is a bit more fun and a bit sort of in your face and it is a bit sweary sometimes. Then those, I think you have to set yourself up for the clients that you want to attract. But like, there's an attitude that you can apply to things and there's an ethos that you can put in there. I think if, if someone goes on my site and goes, oh, I don't know if I like that, then that's they're not the right client for me. Yeah. That's another big thing you mentioned there is like social media. That's a hard one to gauge for anyone starting up. I don't really know how you... It's hard to judge. You put a post up some days on Instagram and it's like fire and the next day no one gives a shit. And you're like, I don't really understand how to keep this momentum going. One day you've got X amount of likes, the next day 10 people left. You're like, strange. I didn't offend any. I didn't put anything up. Yeah. <laughs> it's just abandoned shit. I don't really know, that's a hard one to fuck. It's a bit of a minefield, I think. Um, yeah, there's all the statistics about the, the best time to post and yeah, and how to get new followers and all that sort of stuff. But I think you often... buying them. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah buying them. I got um, yeah. But it takes time. It takes time to get good at that and there's people's jobs that it is just to do Twitter and to be mm. a social media expert in inverted commas. Yeah, and like you've got to run a business at the same time as doing all these other things, and you've got to not. not I suppose running a business itself is is tricky, but you've got to do the design and the craft, and that's what you're skilled in. But for me, like you have to learn all the other skills around that: how to do the the books, how to do the project management, how to deal with clients. So, what's your biggest struggle or problem at the moment that you need to overcome? Things I said to you before we started is costing. Yeah. So how you actually price your pieces and how you price your work. Yeah, and how you price to sort of leave money left for the business because the business has to have a cash pot of some kind. Yeah. Doesn't often. I think the flow of cash yeah. is, yeah, I find that really difficult in order to manage it because you, in order to keep projects constantly coming in, you need to be out speaking to people. But you need to be working on the stuff that's got to be sent out. So it's like a catch twenty two. What do you do? And it's like there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah, I think um, running a business or or being a sole trader, self employed, wise and doing the same thing. People think that oh, it's great to be your own boss. It's like 
wish there was someone just telling me what to do sometimes it's so much easier yeah. you know think about all the other bits and pieces that come out of it have you ever got to that point where you just said right I'm not sure if this is for me anymore my jacket in Stop jacking and all the other work I do more, more often yeah. than more often than this, yeah. Well, surely that's good then. That's yeah. positive. That's bad months though. Like, like I say, the last couple months have been pretty frustrating. Pretty tough. And it's all stuff that's not our fault. It's all like clients who think they can not get this warrant or not do this on their site or not this, and then sort of give us our money to start, and then follow up an email to say don't start because I need to wait for X and Y. Yeah. And then we just wait. I think that, yeah, that's a difficulty I find as well. Like Deadlines shift, requirements shift, budgets shift. And you often, you plan in your, your month or your six months or whatever, and you say, okay, I'll block out that time for this project. And they go, don't have the money for that anymore. Mm-hmm. Or we might do next year. Or that's not going to start for another month because somebody's away on holiday and then this is going to happen and this. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a nightmare because you think, oh, I'm fine. Yeah, and then that email through, happened you're like uh, that was two months worth of work that's just disappeared out of nothing and it yeah. was right there and you've not been doing anything because you thought oh I don't need anything <laughs> it's, it's a nightmare that's one of my biggest problems I think that's where the self doubt can come beat from as well though because yeah. there's no there's never a guarantee ever oh, unless the deposits come in and the guy said there's your money mm-hmm. there's no there's no guarantee that that work's happening it's finishing there's no guarantee the next month brings any work because I also think it's the worst time to go looking for work is when you're really quiet because you probably come across desperate (laughs) (laughs) I need some work give us some work please and that's when you end up costing projects cheaper because you lower your prices because you know you've not been working momentum is massively important because you can you actually kind of in the daftest way you kind of feel it building and all of a sudden you kind of feel like the days go faster than everything. I don't know and that's when it's at its best I think and then you obviously quickly notice when the momentum stops and you start looking around thinking mm. that's always a worry I guess there is no guarantee on anything so it makes it exciting <laughs> I suppose that's the flip side of it yeah that you there's an unpredictability that I think he just needs to look at it with like Tinted glasses and hope for the best, otherwise, you just get, get down. Yeah, well, I think that's it for me. I kind of I do I often I think, oh, I'm a better just jacking this in and get a job. Yeah, and have a lot more security. But then I think about the things that being self employed allows me to do on the side, like, like this. I'd never be able to find the time to do all this and sustain that. And so, it's, it's absolutely worth it. But also, I don't want to go down a route where I'm going in blind and I'm sort of mm. running something into the ground where it's not successful enough. And so there has to be yeah. a point at which I go, okay, this is not sustainable anymore. I have to bite the bullet. Yeah, I think you do need that. I think there needs to be that fail-safe. I think you need to give yourself different times that you're going to reassess what you're doing, how it's gone. Is it making money? Is it? As long as it's floating, yeah, as long as it's. As long as you can keep going. Yeah. But I think you do need to keep reviewing it. Which is hard to do, because you're self critiquing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, as soon as you start doing that, you're just like, oh God, I'm doing it all wrong. 
for its five. Yeah, I think if anyone considering starting up in whatever the field is, they've, they've got to be prepared. It's, I think even when it's going well, it's not easy. It's never easy. But it's still rewarding. Oh, of course, yeah, but, but you've got to be prepared. You've got to be prepared to give everything and stay up thinking about it at night and wake up the next morning and have not slept and get in the factory and get on with it's, it's brutal at times. <laughs> and you'll be the same, like, it's, like you say, you got to know when, you maybe got to assess and know when that level's been reached where it's not working. Well, it's still rescuable. It can potentially be modified. Like, we've considered other little things as part of the business, like doing up old furniture that lies in the factory on the side to be sold to a new audience. Mm-hmm. So, if business was quiet, there's potential. Avenues to branch out into to diversify, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah, which means you wouldn't have to jack it in as such. But mm-hmm. you're still doing things that you yeah. you love and that you want to do. It's just yeah, finding a new market for yourself. Mm. So. As I've always said to Matt, I'm getting a portfolio. It's important, I think. Mm. So if you do in two years' time decide to go into a job, the employer doesn't look at your CV and go, "Finish uni six years ago," <laughs> and has done nothing. <laughs> Whereas you go like, "No, look, built." And ran, you know, roots and just decided after a while that you know wanted something new or whatever. But if you can show the fruits of your work, I think it's definitely worth it in some way. So on a more positive note, coming up to <laughs> don't have many of them. <laughs> What's exciting that you're working on right now or that's coming up that you can talk about? So we're doing a new Mexican restaurant. So no. it up on the Perth Road. M A S A with the, the yeah. little dash above it. Mexican street food place, which should be quite cool. Yeah. Um, what else have we got? A couple of interior things it seems to have shifted into, so a few people, little bits and pieces for their house, which can and can actually be the most important projects for us because we find that customers are quite flexible when it comes to what's in their house. I think it's because obviously they're going to see it every day. Every day. Yeah. They're willing to pay a bit extra, I think, you know, like, you'd rather it was this. Oh, okay, agree. And like you say, just keeping the momentum going. So if people want to see your stuff or get in touch with you, where would they do that? Yeah, pretty active on Facebook. Just, I would assume we yeah. just come up as Roots Furniture. Roots Furniture. Same Instagram, and then con- we've got a contact form on the website, which is just uh, rootsfurniture.co.uk. Okay. And... 21 Dundonald Street. If someone wants to come and visit. Someone wants to come and say hi. Bring your boiler suit. Give us a shout first. Bring a warm jacket. <laughs> Be there all winter. Great, thanks very much. And that was episode 8 with Roots Furniture. So a big thanks to Stephen and Martin for coming on. Uh, please do go and check out their Instagram and their website just to see the amazing furniture that they create. And also check out the blog posts as well because they are really insightful and potentially quite helpful if you're thinking about starting up a business or in the early stages or are just interested in those subjects. So that's it for 2016 for Creative Chit Chat. Taking a bit of a break while I'm away on holiday. And I will be back and refreshed as of the 18th of January. So have a great festive period. And 
I'll see you in 2017.